0: Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. McNeil. Oladipo no, has it. Hutchison. Here's a long three by Oladipo. He's
1: back. He's back. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Here's a long
0: three. Welcome to another edition of Indie Cornrows podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out, um, kind of expand the, the audience on this a little bit and just get some feedback. Always appreciate that. Of course, share it on social media and tag us in it, too. Shoot us any questions or comments on there or on IC as well. Um, pumped to be uh, joined today by Caitlin Cooper. Um, we're doing our, our Tuesday 2-I, except we're recording it on Tuesday instead of Monday because it totally slipped my mind. Uh, We were talking about this before we got on pod, but it has been, uh, it feels like Thanksgiving was yesterday, but it was three weeks ago. So it's just, uh, its it's so we're in an interesting point of time right now. Caitlin, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to getting to do these again. I mean, it it feels weird that the third Tuesday of the month is already on December 15th, but when you sent me that email, I'm like, oh yeah, it definitely is the third Tuesday, but I think we got lots of good questions to go over. So I'm excited to dig into it.
0: Yeah, I am as well. Um, Before we dig into the questions, I uh, had one piece of news that I thought, I mean, we just have to throw out here. I'm sure uh, everyone listening is aware already, but um, Giannis Antetokounmpo just signed his super max deal a couple hours ago with the Milwaukee Bucks, which I thought was awesome. I was very happy to see that happen Um, as much as the, I mean that pretty much solidifies that the Pacers are going to struggle to get the uh, to ever get a top seed in, in the in the central division, which I mean divisions luckily don't matter anymore. Um, but uh, I don't know what was your kind of reaction when that happened?
1: Well, I think it's it's a victory for small market teams yes. everywhere in a sense. I mean the the fact that he was willing to stay put in Milwaukee, that market didn't trump what he wanted to do. That you know even though, I mean, obviously Drew Holiday is an upgrade, like, and, you know, everyone knows that I love the Holiday Brothers. Oh, yes. But, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily think they're, like, an automatic to go to the NBA Finals. So, the fact that he was willing to put um, ink to paper, pen to paper, I should say, to, to sign there without <laughs> yeah. full assurances of um, where, what they're going to do in the playoffs this year, I think says a lot. But, I mean, I guess – he still has the ability that if he wanted to, he could probably leverage his way out of there. Like, I mean, I already saw some somebody cards. saying that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's similar to what Paul George was with Oklahoma city. I mean, there's been a lot of rumblings about how all that went went down. You can't really untangle that web completely, but I think some of the understanding was like, Hey, resign with us. And if something down the road turns up and you decide that you want to move on, then we still have you and we can get assets in return for you. So, you know, and I, I don't know that that's going to happen with Milwaukee, but I certainly think he still has some degree of leverage on, on what happens there. Like if that wasn't even a conversation when they signed the deal, but definitely a good sign for small market teams.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was, uh, I was pretty pumped about that. And, um, a lot of people were uh, disappointed. A lot of the Miami people that that follow me and I follow were uh, upset and I, uh, too bad it happens uh lebron went there a couple uh, well more than a couple years ago now that's almost a decade ago oh my god i just realized that yeah he went to south that was 2011 wow i'm getting old okay um but yeah yeah no it was it was interesting i'm excited to see how that plays out um and now we and, do,
1: and oh. some impact probably on the james harden market for the reason yes. you just said like miami knows now we're not Giannis isn't coming here in a year and the Raptors know now Giannis isn't coming here in a year. So that, does that make you a little bit more willing to give up assets that you would have maybe given up for him for James Harden instead? Like, I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it'll be interesting. 20, 2021, uh, has a chance to be just, well, no, it's not going to be as exciting as 2020 at least I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> um, let's hope. hope. Yeah. <laughs> Basketball wise. Yes. Uh, outside life events. Let's, uh, let's keep it at a minimum. Um, so do you want to start off with a question? You want me to start off with a question today?
1: Yeah, just to introduce once again oh, what, yeah. what our what our concept right is is or, you know, honoring Reb Porter's old call of, of two minutes, too ha with two questions, too ha. We're each going to come up with two questions each month about the current state of the Pacers and then kind of just brainstorm and react to what we're thinking about, you know, taking a pulse on things. So yeah, I'll turn it to you and let you go. I came up with three questions cause I have a feeling we might repeat one of each other. So okay. just in case I have an extra.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll come out guns blazing a little bit. Um, something that has stuck out to me, just in watching again, it's, it's preseason. I have every tweet that I put out about the Pacers I preface with it's preseason in parentheses. Um, but something that I have noticed, well, Victor Oladipo has been, um, a little bit more bursty looking like a little bit more athletic than he, he had been previously, um, looked honestly, I thought yesterday was the best off ball defense he's played since he came back. Um, but he's not driving, um, and I think, again, it's still preseason, but it's a question that's definitely coming up for me. I talked about it with Tom a little bit yesterday, but um, if Vic is unable to drive, you know, one-on-one, I mean, he's, he's driving out of pick and roll a little bit, but he's still passing out a lot, um, but especially in, you know, isolation. Um, I think that's something that I don't want to say it's concerning to me yet, but it's something I definitely have a question about because if Vic does not have that ability um, to consistently drive – on defenders when he gets mismatches. Uh, that's something I'm a little bit um, saying worried about. I don't, I don't want to say worried coming out of preseason, but um, it's definitely something that I'm keeping tabs on starting off the year.
1: Yeah. I think that um, there was one spot yesterday where he kind of decided he was going to back the ball out yeah, and, and dribbled in place for a little bit. And then as you say, he, he flung up a three that went short of the rim instead yep. of, you know, when he's peak himself, you're going to see him reverse dribble, like one of those old cars that you would have where you, it's a internal coil and you pull it back a toy car and then it zooms. Like you're not seeing that same where he's going to reverse dribble and then zoom right at the defender where they have to make a choice about, you know, okay, am I going to force him into rotation or contest the shot? That doesn't happen a lot, but also I think one piece of that, which will flow into my second question, but I won't get to it yet mm-hmm. is that there's not a lot of spots in this offense for him to isolate. Yeah. Like you're not going to see a lot of that, which is a point on its own, but um, yeah, I don't think he's, he's it's, it's some more of what we saw in the bubble so far, which isn't to say that that's where it's going to stay. I think so much of what he's doing is murky because all of it's been punctuated by these long gaps. Like, you know, he's out for over a year. He comes back and plays. Then he gets back in the lineup and has, you know, back and, and I believe an ankle injury trying to think back clear to last, you know, march or whatever it was and then there's another long gap before he goes to the bubble and has to ramp activity back again and now i know he said in the post game last night that he feels like you know i'm not as hampered by this injury and now i'm having to get used to in my own body having speed again and knowing when to hit the brakes with a little bit more of explosiveness that i have but I mean, obviously went up for the dunk and did not jump off of his left leg again and got rejected by Andre Drummond pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And then on one of the threes, again, you're still noticing that he's leaving his leg straight out, the right one. And I don't think that that's a limitation as much as like, I don't want to say it's like mental, but it's almost like habit now where he lands on just the left leg with the right one kind of extended and isn't getting the same springy um height on his jump shot as he once would have but I I guess did you have anything to to spring off that because I could go right into my second question because it was about Oladipo
0: yeah I just I guess one thing off that um I mean I think a the biggest thing too is the fact that he even went up for a dunk I really like that I mean that that he's willing to do that is huge because getting that mental part is is fantastic you know and um, cause he, he showed a, a little, I don't want to say unwillingness, but it's just when you're coming back from something like that, that's really difficult. And we've seen that guys have problems with that throughout any sport, you know, coming back from injury. Um, but I, I do, you, how much do you think that hampers kind of the ceiling of the team if he doesn't get that ability back?
1: I mean, it, uh, yeah, it's definitely a factor. I think, you know, in the idealized version of the Pacers, he's a guy that can collapse a defense and he's a guy that, and this is one play that I really liked on uh, the second game against Cleveland. He drove into the paint and though he's apt to, you know, kind of tap dance back out of the paint or make a pass, he made a uh, just straight out of the dribble, picked it up with his left and made a hook pass up to the opposite slot to Brogdon. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if if you can get more of that and he's throwing a pass that's on time and on target directly in Malcolm Brogdon's shooting pocket, then I think, Malcolm Brogdon's load isn't as much as it was a year ago. His three-point percentage probably goes up. And and you're just – Victor is more dynamic. Like when he's at his peak, he's the most dynamic player on the roster in terms of collapsing other people. So, And in the sense that if you're in a playoff series, and you and I touched on this over the summer, a lot of some of the stuff they're doing right now, teams are going to be able to – which they don't even have a lot of sets implemented. I know yeah. they have – lot more that they're going to do in that front but like when you're running a lot of sets teams are going to scout those and they're going to be able to know like oh okay you know Doug McDermott's going to come off that sideline pin in and we're going to anticipate that pass but when you have guys who can isolate and one-on-one a little bit like you don't want it to be a standstill as what the Pacers are doing against the Heat but having one-on-one scores is still very important in the playoffs
0: yeah And,
1: and Victor I think is their best option at that I mean he and and Malcolm are a little bit different in those senses but the more players that you can have who are capable of doing that the better off you're going to be so if the Pacers don't have that that's obviously a limitation and I don't think with how he looks right now that they're going to get somebody that's equivalent to that in a trade if they were to move on at the deadline
0: yeah yeah I would totally agree with that and I, I think that's something hopefully we'll see within you know 15 to 20 games maybe that starts to kind of come back a little bit as he gets more reps um, so I guess if you think about it, I mean, the, the most consistent run he got, um, would be, I mean, when he came back before the hiatus, I think he played around 10 or 11 games before the season ended. It might not even have been that much. It I think it been. was
1: 12. It was 12. Yeah.
0: Okay. So it was right around there. Um, yeah. Cause, uh, I guess it would be cause seeding games. Well, yeah. seeding games and playoffs. I I, don't, I think he played 10 combined, uh, cause he missed two of the seeding games cause they were back-to-backs or, no, they weren't back-to-backs, but He did miss one of them. I can't remember, but uh, regardless, I mean, seeing him get more of a consistent run is going to be huge. So um, that can go right into your, uh, uh, your question i mean right so i had i
1: did have one prepared about victor but it wasn't quite the same okay um i'll just toss it out there of where do you see him getting his shots in this offense he obviously took some more he took more shots last night than he did in game 1 and we also have to temper this a little bit with the fact that you know the starters are only playing in three quarters so his shot volume shouldn't look the same as what it would in the regular season, but also the other side of that is that TJ Warren isn't playing. Yeah. So there's going to be more shots going to him than what's, what's going to Aaron.
0: Yeah. Um, I really like this question. Cause it's something I've thought about as well. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's a, it's really tough because especially like, I think one of the things right away, you look, look at this team shooting threes with the prolific rate they have been just for the first two games. Um, I mean, Vic is not really a great catch and shoot player. Um, he's uh, actually a really good off the dribble shooter, or at least he has been uh, last year. I think he was right around uh, 35 36% on, on, on off the dribble threes, but around like 31% on catch and shoot, which is obviously not good. Um, but if you're taking off the dribble threes for the most part, it's, I mean, they can be in the flow of the offense, but it's not going to be as in flow as if, if you're getting it from a catch and shoot. So I mean, I guess you could look at it in terms of he's closing out a shot clock like that. But then also, is that the most efficient shot you're getting? Um, I mean, probably not. Um, or ideally, that's not the most efficient shot you're getting It, it you know, as, as a play winds down. Um, right now, we're not seeing a lot. I mean, hopefully stuff will be coming out of pick and roll with him and Sabonis. I think that used to be a really dynamic thing that they had. And, you know, you, you see that when when they worked together in 17-18. And you, ideally, that's kind of comes to fruition in this next year. Um, I think too, something that I've thought about a lot is him running bench units because we didn't really we saw that I think a little bit um, in the seeding games last year. We saw that for a slight bit, but um, for the most part, I mean, we had the set bench unit. So yeah, Nate
1: tried it some against Phoenix, and it did not go well. Yeah, it did not go well. In his defense, the rest of the lineup was not particularly conducive they were running goga and Jakar at the same time and i forget who else was out there
0: yeah exactly so i think like kind of my point in looking at it is like maybe you're running um instead of just one starter in the bench unit like domas is usually with the bench unit obviously and i I, i'm not sure that's going to change just based on how effective that's been but maybe you're running instead of tj mcconnell minutes you're running vic at, at at point uh or at least as kind of the lead initiator with aaron holiday out there too um, to get him some easier looks against bench lineups, uh, maybe that's something that comes in there. Because right now, I mean, I, he's he, he's been an effective cutter before, but if he's not going to have that same burst and physicality and um, verticality that, that he used to have, I mean, how uh, he'll still be an effective cutter because he's an intuitive player. But um, no, I think that's a really good question. What are you well, just in general? What are your kinda, you kind of you kind of envisioning?
1: Well, I think this is why it's kind of tricky because of what he is right now because the idealized version of how you should think to use him, I don't think is the reality of what you can feasibly do right now. Like I looked like right now they're running a lot, like a lot of their sets are being triggered by double drags with Mm -hmm. Brogdon. Like that, that's not, the end point of what they're using. So it's not going to get recorded on synergy of they're they're running a ton of pick and roll because that's leading to other extra passes and spot up opportunities, but they're triggering a lot of it with that. And Victor is typically not the ball handler. Like when, if he and Malcolm are on the floor, Nate Bjorken is using Malcolm Brogdon like right now Brogdon's frequency is at 34.8 percent in the pick and roll over these two games and Oladipo has used a total of three possessions in the pick and roll like ones that he's actually used that doesn't count any trip where he's done it but it's been very rare that he's doing it so like you say the problem is is I don't really see him I mean he's never been effective shooting off of a screen he isn't super effective on spot up attempts where he's Moving to that spot, like not necessarily coming off of a screen, but in motion because he's sliding up and down along the three point line to get the angle for a pass. Like that's not really going to be his game as a shooter off the catch. It's more so going to be that he's standing at the three point line waiting for a pass and shoots it off of just stationary. So, and that's not really how Nate Bjorkren's offense functions. And in Bjorkren's defense, I think that what he's doing is more a compelling way to make teams have to defend. Mm -hmm. but then it's like how do you really fit victor in because i mean so much of his game during his all-star season was just being allowed to free wheel in the pick and roll and be you know it was so cut and dry he's either pulling back against the switch and taking a shot he's dribbling in for a mid-range attempt which like don't get me wrong i'm glad that they're taking 43s a game (laughs) like that's great love it but my point being is that's what his game was like attacking with his speed and getting into the basket and i don't think it's really clear what yet I mean obviously we're only two preseason games in but what his role is going to be like some of it I think with the defense that they're playing he could be you know very effective in transition yeah we've seen that where he's attacked the rim in transition where he's helping off those corners in the way that they're setting the defense and getting into passing lanes like that's still there for him but I think in the half court it's a little bit more muddled because like you brought up um, when he's coming off a pass, like you can look at just even Aaron in some of these situations where they're running the exact same play and Aaron comes around a dribble handoff from Sabonis and defenders typically naturally duck under on a handoff because it's, it's, it's hard for most shooters to be able to go in motion right into a three off a handoff. So typically mm. they duck under and Aaron still went to the rim. Like he's catching the ball and he still went in and scored, which he hasn't finished great, but still didn't have any fear to go in and attack. And Victor yeah. in the same situation has a defender go under and he's kind of like taking an extra dribble spotting up and then trying to square into a three. And he's just not doing that yet. So I don't feel like it's super clear what his role is is going to be yet but obviously we'll see more against the Sixers and then as the season actually starts but I've babbled on long enough to no, no you that was great the, to the that, second that actually
0: leads right into my second question um you know I something that I'm thinking about and again, again it's just two preseason games but um you look at 43s last night 45 which was just remarkable to, to even be able to say 45 on uh On Saturday, I mean, 45 would have broken the franchise record if that was in the regular season. 40 is two off of the season high last year. Um, I mean, it's a pretty frenetic pace so far. Again, TJ isn't playing. Miles didn't play last night. Um, But I think right now I'm looking at this uh, on uh, yesterday, or not not yesterday, on the game on Saturday. um, The Pacers took five shots that were not above the arc. Or in the paint, which is obviously, as we know, the complete opposite of uh, kind of the antithesis of what this team has been for the last couple of years. And I think um, my question is, A, can they keep this pace? You know, can they be a team that shoot? Obviously not going to be a team that shoots 43s per game. Like that's that just even the Rockets last year weren't doing that. Um, so, I, of course, you can't expect that. Um, part of that's, you know, it's preseason. So guys are more willing to take some longer jumpers that they would maybe get a little bit schooled for in the regular season, just to get their rhythm. Um, but you know, is it, how, how can they, can they keep this pace up? Can they be a team that's shooting this high volume? Um, and then I guess the second point off that is how do you find the balance? Cause like you're mentioning with Vic, I mean, that that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like, um, it's, we talked about this in the summer. We've talked about a bunch, you know, it's uh, it's not even that the Pacers need to take threes. I think there was this general thought um, among just the general person looking at the Pacers, like, oh, they need to take more threes. And, like, yes, they do need to take more threes, but they, you don't want to, to see Vic um, getting a bunch of catch-and-shoot opportunities, or not even that you don't want to see him get catch-and-shoot opportunities. But you, my point is you want to see guys getting good shots that are good for them, not just shots that are good for the average player. You have to get guys that are get, – get shots for guys that – are going to be high level shots for them. Um, and like we're mentioning with Vic, where, like, how, how is that kind of high level shot coming um, in the flow of the offense? Or do you have to kind of disrupt the flow of the offense a little bit or change how the offense is running for that to happen? And I mean, same thing with TJ Warren, as good as he is as a play finisher coming from six to 18, like, um, I mean, that's not a, a three pointer and that's totally fine. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a lot more, uh, I'm making this pretty reductive, but I think my point overall is um, h- how do you think this is going to kind of balance out, you know, because obviously they're not going to be shooting 43s a night, but um, there's going to be some kind of happy medium, or at least ideally uh, once things kind of settle out.
1: Right. So I think I, the first part of that that I would tackle is to take us all the way back, like in the way back machine to when they were over in India. In the preseason game they took more threes than in in those preseason games too
0: do you think they should bring back the india play
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's it Uh (laughs) uh-huh um no like they took more threes in those preseason games and i remember people got like excited about it and I watched all that film back, I'm like, but the reason they took more threes is because the Kings, and then when they got back, the Bulls, and that stretch were playing blitz schemes, which opens Hmm. up the corner. So the Pacers took like, I forget, it was like 10 or 11 corner threes per game, and people thought that that was going to generate more corner threes, and I'm like, no, that's just, they were taking what the defense gives them. If they're playing a defense that isn't playing blitz coverage, they wouldn't be getting that more. Mini corner threes. Now a year later, when I'm watching this, I'm like, no, they're just generating this mini threes. Yeah, like, I think they
0: took 14. I don't think that Saturday. this is
1: just you know a product. Like, let's let's call a spade a spade. The Cavs are very bad. Like they were yeah. very bad in both of those games. But I don't see this as being comparable to what it was a year ago. Like this to me feels like this is what the Pacers are. And the, yes. the one moment where I think that I knew that was well two actually. And let me say this by, I don't need TJ McConnell shooting a three. Like, I don't. (laughs) I don't need it. Um, But he was there, took the corner three, like, looked spotted for the line and took it. And Edmund Sumner did the same thing. At one point, his feet were two two steps in front of the line, and he looked back like, oh, I need to step back and get this to three-point range. That tells me there's a a major point of emphasis at these practices, that if those two guys are spotting the three-point line and looking for it, that this is... Again, way more of a point of emphasis than it was under Nate McMillan, clearly, and some of it too for me wasn't even the attempts. It was where's your positioning because you don't even have to be a great shooter as long as as you're at least spaced to three. Like in the playoffs, it makes a difference how good of a shooter you are and whether to what degree teams are going to guard you. But during the regular season, just figuring out your spacing and where you're going to be. I I wasn't even so concerned with, you know, let's get the number to X. I don't think that there is a perfect number. It's more about where your spacing is. But with regards to Victor, like when he was in the bubble and took, or in the playoffs and took 60% of his shots as threes. Yeah. I think that something has to give a little bit there because of what types of threes he was getting. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm cleared out on the left side and I'm settling for a step back three and barely getting any lift on it rather than attacking here. And he needs to be able to get to the rim and get free throws to mitigate some of what his highs and lows are. And like, even with TJ Warren, like we saw that he had way upped his volume of threes. I mean, even under Nate McMillan, just in those seeding games, he was averaging close to seven per game. And the difference there is like, yes, I'm glad that he's a buttery mid-range scorer. And if he's in a playoff series and somebody comes out and guards him and leverages him into a mid-range shot, I'm glad he already has that as part of his game. But my preference would be that if he's against drop coverage and a dude's two feet behind the line that he pulls up and shoots the three, which he was doing at a better clip. So... Mm -hmm. Um, The broadcast seems pretty tentative about the the increased volume of threes. I'm not, I'm not so much. I mean, I'll have to see more and I hope that they can get to the line more than what they have been to mitigate because it's going to be high variance. Like if you're taking that many threes and you're not hitting them at a good clip, like that's going to be a rough storm to weather if you're not also getting to the free throw line, but you know, that is what it is.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's did a I great... answer
1: all of your questions? Yeah,
0: no, totally. <laughs> I think that's that's a great point because I mean, you just look at yesterday; um, it, it was ugly. The Pacers got out rebounded by almost twenty. I think it was fifty-two to thirty-three on the glass for the Calves, uh, and a lot of that obviously is you know Jakar playing backup minutes against uh, Andre Drummond um,
1: and <laughs> Nano Ball.
0: Yes, Nano Ball. It, well, well, fun. I am not uh, too excited to see that play out in the regular season against uh, against the six eleven big, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I think if if this team is is playing last year, I mean, they probably lose by ten or fifteen last night. If they play the exact same way, just with shooting, you know, ten of those or twenty footers or eighteen footers instead of taking the three. I mean, I think it's a it's a big difference. Um, so yeah, and I, I think that was that's just more of an observation too. But there's still a lot of work to be done on rebounding. There were a lot of uh, um, kind of I don't I don't want to say lazy, but just like rebounding positioning is something that I I am going to be keeping an eye on this year because uh, there were a couple like Isaac Okoro came off the gla- came onto the glass uh yesterday uh, there there's a lot but yeah I think that that definitely answered my questions
1: um yeah and that's gonna fit into a piece I I just have to preface this one to everyone listening that I apologize for the question that I'm about ready to bring up
0: oh I'm because- excited
1: <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for it but I am who I am and I have to ask it um in general, what is your thoughts on the ball pressure defense?
0: That's a good question. Um, and let,
1: let me just lay out a little bit before I turn it to you, just mm-hmm. for people, um, that basically what the Pacers are doing is if, if the Cavs made a shot, they're typically picking up with one full court pest or a three quarter court pest off of the inbound pass. And then occasionally they're bringing that prowling guard and picking up at half court. But at, at the very least, after a make, they're picking up at full court. And if the ball gets swung, like I had a picture even today, like Andre Drummond is on the logo probably <laughs> 10 plus times over these two games. And Sabonis is all the way up on yeah. him pressuring the ball. So Um, what's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's funny. I actually kind of made note of it yesterday. Um, I think I I will, again, you know, like we'll mention for like the 17th time this pod is preseason. So I'm trying to kind of weigh that too. I thought maybe part of the reason why they're, they're doing it so hard. Like, I, I mean, Sabonis all the way out to the logo was ridiculous. I was like, I, this Makes no sense, and that was part of why they were getting killed on the glass. Yes, because he's
1: thirty feet from the yes, basket. Yes, exactly. Like, so and like you're that... just asking a lot for him to go that far away and then have to come back in to box. I mean, and and the same would be the case for Miles if he yeah. was healthy. I don't want my rim protector thirty feet from the basket. Like exactly. Okay, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go, no, go no, on. you're
0: good. Like that. So that was one of my thoughts right away. I was like, okay, well maybe the they just want to go really hard with it in preseason to try and emphasize it, but at the same time, like I, I don't know. I feel like they wouldn't be going at that extent, if it's uh, not something that's going to be a focal point. Um, I also, I, I just feel like maybe I'm wrong in this, but just my opinion with, with at least with the starters, with some of the guards, like if you look at Sumner, um, I think he's someone who I'd be comfortable having do it. TJ McConnell, you know, just because given uh, he's not a great closeout guy, but he's feisty at the point of attack. So he's, he can at least do that. I think that's fine. But I mean, Vic is just—I think—something that's really changed with me, with with how much more in depth I've gotten with looking at the team. He's a fine on-ball defender, but he really makes his money off-ball. Um, oh no! And he, I think, he, yeah, he, he needs to
1: be the low yeah, man. He, needs he to be really
0: struggled man. yesterday yeah. a little bit on ball against Darius Garland. Um, or I, I don't want to say struggled, but I mean, he got totally shook at the top of the corner at one—not corner uh, at the top of the key at one point. Um, and he, he just can misstep a little bit and really try and gamble on ball when he's on ball. So. I just think that the guards that are in place aren't necessarily the best guards for uh, this aggressive of a defense. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in thinking that, um, but just because if you give up a drive, like, I mean, if you have really, really quality uh, guards in terms of lateral quickness and their IQ on ball, then yeah, I think it's great because the the only issue for me is you're, you're giving wide open lanes to these guys. If you misstep, um, like when I was watching tape for Cassius Stanley back at Duke, they would do that with him all the time because he's very good on ball, has some fantastic lateral quickness, but he has very poor footwork. So there were times where I I, I, I don't know if you remember the name Elijah Hughes. He was uh, hyped for being the top isolation scorer in the country last year out of Syracuse. Um, in the game against Syracuse, one of the games against Syracuse, I should say. I mean, Cassius picked him up full court every single time. There were, you know, as the game went on, Elijah started picking up on, um, you know, how to get him to misstep pretty early on. And then there were four or five times where he had a wide open lane to the basket just because uh, Cassius misstepped once, you know, uh, before they even got to half court. So I think that's something that I'm looking at. Like, OK, well, th- there's th- you're relying a lot on your guards not messing up on ball if you're willing to have them play that far out. Um, but that's just kind of one of my thoughts on that.
1: Okay, so yeah, I like what you bring up about Edmund Sumner and TJ McConnell, because this is already TJ McConnell's game. Like, let's face Mm -hmm. it, this guy going back to his Sixers days likes to pressure inbounds passes and pick up 94 feet. Like, that's who Mm -hmm. he is. And I thought in part when we first saw this, that like, okay, TJ Warren's out with plantar fasciitis, they're playing a small guard lineup. And at first, it was pretty much just Aaron doing this when the starters were out there. And I thought, you know, maybe this is what Aaron's been told that, Hey, when you're in the game or when TJ McConnell's in the game, we want to pick up full court because this is something that Nate Bjorkran did with the Santa Cruz warriors. When I watched those games, I knew that this was a possibility, but in my head, I was like, well, when he was coaching in Santa Cruz and they ran this system, the Santa Cruz Warriors had the, the worst offense in the G League that year and not because Nate Bjorkman was running bad sets. They just didn't have scores. They had really bad shooting that year. Like so it felt like this needs to happen to juice their offense like they need to be a super aggressive on defense in order to create pace, get more possessions and be able to get out and transition and score because that's the only way they're going to score. Yeah. But then when they were doing it in preseason and Aaron goes to the bench and TJ McConnell's on the bench and then Malcolm Brogdon's picking up at three quarters court, that really brought Yeah, I'm
0: not a big fan that. of that.
1: Because not only because like, and, and Brogdon gets somewhat of a bad rap because he his problem more so is that he struggles in rear view pursuit when he gets clipped by yeah. a screen. Like he's not terrible on ball against a guard when he isn't being screened. It's just a matter of, is this why are we giving him so big of a load? Like why does he need to be picking up three quarters court when he has this long history for picking up nagging injuries? And and last year we saw him wear down with a bigger load as the season progressed until the point where he was out then with the hip tear or whatever ended up being. But like, as you say, the risk that you have here is like the benefit of doing it is you're either going to speed up your opponent or like what we saw in the first few minutes of the second game, you're going to be slowing them down and getting chunks of minutes off the clock or creating a quick turnover. Like I understand what the benefits are, but you're really risking giving up five on fours. And there's been a lot of blowbys in these first two games, which again, it's preseason. There's no win or loss like there's not some you know great motivator but I felt like the Pacers as Nate Bjorken said were putting out a lot of effort in these two games yeah and that's why it's a little bit concerning because it's like they were they were really competing full out trying to earn deflections and what this new scheme is and they were still giving up these five on fours so like it's like when Warren gets back is Brogdon gonna be in the prowling guard role full-time Like, and I don't want it to be Victor either for the reason you just said. Like, I want him roaming the entire floor and being really aggressive in the gaps and what their scheme is. So that's confusing for me. And then, like, I'm sorry to the listeners for this very long rant, but I I need to bring all of this up because uh, the next point is this I'm not sure I understand why they thought that they needed to do this because they had a top six defense last mm-hmm. year and under victors under the victor oladipo era i looked up these numbers um so far in these two preseason games like the pacers are by far and away the number one team and opponent turnover rate um opponent turnovers their third in points off turnovers like they are clearly getting people not to take care of the ball and converting points. Granted, those are two games against the Cleveland Cavaliers who didn't have Colin Sexton, but the point being is they've been good in that category. However, in the prior three seasons, 2017-18, they were second in opponent turnover percentage. 2018-19, they were second in opponent turnover percentage. Like, they've been good at this. And, and by the way, they were good at doing it without putting opponents on the free throw line. Because they were sixth in sixth in opponent free throw attempt rate in 2018-19, and seventh in opponent free throw attempt rate in 2017-18. Like they did this while being cleanly, while scoring points off turnovers. Like my entire freelance piece that I wrote with for SB Nation that Mike Prada edited for me was about how they were getting by against teams that shot lots of threes by the fact that they were turning them over and converting points off Mm -hmm. turnovers. The difference being is the way they were forcing turnovers back then was a product of their conservative system. They were chasing over, they get their hands and arms get deflections that way versus now the entire purpose of this ball pressure is to force the turnovers. And at the same time, like you could see it like the first quarter of these games, they are fifth in pace. By the second quarter, they are 19th in pace. By the third quarter, they are 23rd, going from 109 possessions to 104 possessions, down under 100 possessions. Like, you can see that the fatigue is starting to add up, which, granted, I don't know how conditioned any of them even were to do this. Like, they obviously didn't know Nate Bjorkren was the coach until fairly far into the off season, and whether they knew this was the system, I don't know. But, like, I'm just... The last few days, I've just really been asking myself, like, why did they think they needed this aggressive of a scheme when they were already good at those types of things? And it's not me saying that I don't think that they needed to be more proactive with their coverages and be more adaptable with stuff that they're willing to do, like be willing to switch in certain situations. Or like, I'm sure on Friday, like when you play the Sixers in a regular season game, I want the Pacers to be more proactive, throwing out zone coverages against Joel Embiid, fronting Joel Embiid. So Miles Turner isn't picking up, you know, three fouls in five minutes, and that's pretty much his game. Like, I'm fully on board with that. Or if Trey Young lights you up for 40 points and you haven't blitzed or trapped him once because you're just like, you know, we're going to run – the same things that we always run and we're, you know, whatever. Like I get that Dan Burke wasn't always the most proactive and they tend to like to feel things out before they made a change, but there was also a very high floor for what the defense was. And to me, if miles Turner is going to be on this roster, I'm not sure that you need to do this because like, he's such a good rim protector that I think that you could probably just stick with continuing your funneling and forcing most thing middle squaring up side pick and rolls like they were halfway through the season last year. So it really makes me wonder, were they anticipating that they were going to need to run different schemes with Sabonis as their five man with the defense far more out on the perimeter? Cause right now they're forcing everything to the sidelines. Like stuff is not getting funneled to the middle near as much. They're using, um, a really aggressive, uh, Shift position, which means what they're doing in the gaps is they're prioritizing pinching in on driving lanes. So yeah. if you see the guy, like just for listeners, if you see the guy at the opposite slot, he's going to be standing either at the nail or further off at the nail. So that when that guy drives, they're gonna have two defenders right there, which is putting people like Sabonis when he's at the four and a stretch four is up at the slot in a really uh tentative position, dicey position, I should say to perfect his footwork, to be able to get over to that guy. Like, I mean, this is the stuff that like BAM will do in Miami shell coverage when, when, when they're clamping down on driving lanes. And, and I don't feel like the Pacers have a lot of lateral size to be doing that. And I don't think that their bigs are quite mobile enough to be doing that. Like, And maybe, and again, maybe with better conditioning as the season progresses, like this looks a lot better. And clearly you can tell that some of their footwork, like at times, like I pointed out with TJ McConnell that like his footwork was set to funnel somebody middle when it needed to be his inside foot lifted so that he could get back to the shooter. But um, it looks to me like they're going to be okay with potentially giving up threes to so-so shooters in an effort to keep people out of the paint and driving lanes but um i don't know like it, it's like even if even if i try to talk myself into maybe they're doing it because they want this is how they think they're going to juice the offense a little bit i'm like but they were already really good at racking up points off turnovers even under Nate McMillan i mean like i said in 2017 18 they're third 2018 19 they're third like they were already doing that and and maybe some of it i know Nate Bjorkman said after the game that you know, both offensively and defensively, like, obviously he said, we're going to change defenses and change defenses frequently. And we haven't seen them play a possession of zone or, you know, an actual regulated for full court press or, you know, any of these other types. So I'm sure that we'll see this and maybe down the road in the season, when they're playing the long game, some of this ball pressure gets punctuated by sitting back in a zone and then you're not just getting so fatigued, but overall I'm kind of confused.
0: Yeah, I think you you bring up a lot of great points, and something that I kind of uh, wanted to echo off that. I mean, I, I I had that exact same thought yesterday. I was actually I do like um, clamping down the driving lanes a little bit, um, but it, the, especially I mean yesterday because Miles is out, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you bring up such a good point because, um, I mean just to again to, to people listening, this is what the Raptors do, and that they were fantastic at. It's a kind of a, um colloquial way to put it but they played almost like a kamikaze defense where they just they clamped down so much on driving lanes and rotating to cover the basket and then they would just have scream closeouts like completely running out like pascal siakam is one of the um, fastest best closeout guys in the league and they used that to their advantage last year like you, you can go back and watch possessions and if uh if you have questions about it, DM me on Twitter and I'll, I'll send you videos of it. But um, I mean, that's what they did to have one of the most aggressive defenses in the league last year. But what the Raptors have that the Pacers don't is just like you're mentioning, Caitlin, a lot of lateral length. And you saw that yesterday, like TJ McConnell, no matter how good he is at getting out to the corner. I mean, he does not have the length that can test somebody in the corner. Like you can't have him coming over as the, the weak side help and then rotating back to the corner. Cause even if he does get back there in time, like, I mean we've seen it with him even if he's getting above the break it's he doesn't have the length to contest somebody like um and you just have so many combo guards and small wings on this team who like well even if you have good length and you're you're 6-4 like it it doesn't matter a whole ton if you are you know if somebody's 6-8 and they can get their shot off over you like and that's not going to kill you every single time but if you have the right guys in the corner or um, just anywhere with an open shot. And you have somebody who's, you know, <laughs> like say Aaron holiday is the guy closing out to shooters. Like that's uh, it's slightly problematic. So I guess I, I, I completely agree. I think it's going to be um, intriguing to me to see if they do shift this. I, and I, I, I mean, I hope, I hope they will um, because it seems pretty logical to to do that, but there's a, it felt, it feels a lot like you, you put out the, the, um, the Indiana Raptors or was it Toronto Pacers? I can't remember um, on Twitter, but it feels very emblematic. Like they're, they're recreating a lot of what made Toronto so good on defense last year, but it's just different personnel. So it doesn't really quite, um, like I get the idea, but it just, it it doesn't entirely make a lot of sense for the, for the roster.
1: Right. I mean, and and that's what I wrote like early on, I wrote, can the Pacers play this um whirling defensive approach like the Raptors without the Raptors players and within that exactly what you say like they would be fine I mean they they, theirs is almost like what the Pacers are doing right now in the gaps is almost more aggressive than what they were doing like to be honest and theirs is a little bit more pack line than what Nate Bjorken's setting, but to your point, like I had in that piece, the Raptors led the entire league last last year in blocks on three-point shots. And that's not everything, but that's showing you how quick, like Pascal Siakam blocked more threes last year than the Pacers did as a team. Yeah. So did OG on so and Obi, I believe. So um, that just shows you how quick they are at closing out to the perimeter. Like, and some of the possessions I showed in that article, if people want to go back and look at it, like Pascal Siakam will literally have his back turned to the corner and be able to make up like three or four steps on a pass to be able to get this.
0: It's person. ridiculous recovery ability. And that's, that's
1: why I asked that clear back then, because, and again, you know, you don't know what they might be able to get in the trade market. And obviously like Gordon Hayward, I think would have fit, much better into a switching system like he doesn't get enough credit he's a much better defender than people oh, yeah think that he is like i'm not at all insinuating that he's pascal but he would have fit better into like this switching kind of amorphous rotating style than than what they have right now but like you say like on the one hand i was like oh now i know why the pacers have so many combo guards because they're like going to exhaust them hounding people and they're gonna have to rotate them (laughs) in and out so much like honestly like that's what i thought like like, in a a shortened season like this you know maybe you do want to have that many people that are capable of doing this but on the other hand of that it's making them too small in certain spots and making them too big in others like it's it's not super balanced and it might look different like some of it will clearly look different when tj warren's available but then like i said then aaron isn't the person pressuring the ball anymore malcolm brogdon is (laughs) yeah and and the funny thing is 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 um i don't even know if i touched on this like i talked about how cleanly the pacers were under dan burke in terms of sending people to the free throw line and when they were in the bubble um there was like this whistle crisis going on if people remember it like the referees could not keep control of their whistles and i looked during the seeding games and like the pacers free throw attempt rate didn't change at all because like guess what they were still taking tons of mid-range shots like so like the 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 whistles weren't getting them to the line more and on the other hand though they weren't fouling anymore because that's just how their system was but now in these first two preseason games the Cavs attempted I believe 30 free throw or no the Pacers had 30 fouls in the first game I don't remember how many they had in the second but right now their opponent free throw attempt rate is at 0.457.
0: That is not which good. is like
1: absurd. And again, it's, it's preseason that leads to grabbing. Sometimes the refs kind of want to like make a point in preseason of like, we're going to crack down on this.
0: <laughs>
1: but they were also making it a point in the bubble of like, we're going to crack down on this stuff this year. And those early, not even just the seeding games, but in the whatever they called them, the scrimmages, like they were ma- making that point then and it didn't shift the Pacers free throw attempts or opponent free throw attempt rate. And now it very much has. So like, now, yeah, you're still getting – you're getting a great number of points off turnovers you're getting out in transition, but, again, they were already getting that with their conservative schemes, especially in 17-18 eight, and eighteen, nineteen when the victor was available. And now they're getting that, but they're also sending their opponent to the line a million times because if a person blows past the person pressuring the ball, then they're, like, reaching and grabbing while defending five on four. And you also saw that pretty quickly by game two after the Cavs knew that was the system, it's like, oh – you know, they're loading up at the, at the nail and the the elbows. Well, now I'm Andre Drummond and I'm setting a flare screen and now we're getting an easy two on one on, on the weak side of the floor. And, and we're just driving right to the basket and scoring. So um, we'll see how they temper it. And maybe that this was just a test to see in the preseason, like how aggressive can we be with this? And like mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm confident that they'll probably punctuate it with some other systems, I'm just, are some other sets, whether it's zone or whatever it may be, like they're clearly going to add more stuff, but I don't know. Right now I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm a little bit iffy on it. I got to be honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I have kind of two many questions off that. Number one, I mean, how do you see TJ kind of slotting into that when he comes back? Because um, I mean, it's interesting because it feels like his scoring load might increase a little bit this year, or he'll at least get more on ball reps, um, but I mean, he was the primary point of attack defender for most of last year, um, obviously with Victor out. Um, and again, I mean, we like we talked about Victor shouldn't pro- probably should not be the primary point of attack defender, at least ideally he's not. Um, and TJ has the length to do that. And he's shown some of the chops to do that. And he's not a great off ball defender. So it makes sense to move him there. Um, but how does he fit into this scheme if he's if, if he's like full court pressing guys? Like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird to, to think about.
1: Right. And they have some flexibility because obviously like Malcolm can guard bigger wings. Like Mm. that's a skill that he has. Yeah. So if they did want to throw that in on occasion, they could like last year. I do like you say, TJ Warren um, guarded like Devin Booker, some possessions when they struggled against Jamal Murray at home. Like they went through pretty much everybody that could possibly guard Jamal Murray. And then they were like, TJ Warren, we're going to try you doing it. And we're going to trap. And that was actually more effective than what they were doing before. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he does some of it, but I can't see you like, let's say they're playing the Kings. Is TJ Warren going to full court press De'Aaron Fox? Oh, God.
0: I hope not. <laughs> oh, God.
1: I'm yeah, that is a lot of open like, baskets like, at the room. This will be a lot. It will be telling even – I mean, and there are some pros to doing it and, and mucking up the game against Ben Simmons, but I'm even kind of just interested to see, like, who's doing this on Friday against Ben Simmons?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Like, who who's defending Ben Simmons is a great question. Um, I mean,
1: Malcolm did last year just in the yeah. half court. But, like, and again, like, that just feels a lot to me. Because right now, you know, with Oladipo's handle being sloppier, I mean, even again in these two games, we've seen him lose the ball going from left to right when he's maneuvering through traffic. Like, Malcolm still is the primary ball handler. So, yep. like, he carries a lot of responsibility. So, is he going to be tracking guys? I just, I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and overall,
1: I think, it seems like the players are pleased with it, which, I mean, that's yeah. good. Like, yes, I totally don't really agree. They really like actually. what they're doing. So,
0: definitely a positive. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of interesting things to take from it. I think the, the last thing I want to ask you is just a mini question. Uh, what have you thought of Keelan Martin so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't dislike that signing when it happened. Clearly, I, agree. I mean, I don't get like, too riled up about people that get signed to the. 14th and 15th spots. I mean, I still think that. I mean, I guess I shouldn't go too far out on the limb here, but I don't think LaQueue is going to be on this roster when the season starts. No, I would agree. My guess is they're going to waive him to get back under the luxury tax. And Martin gives them a little bit more defensive versatility. I mean, he has more size, he has more strength. And if he can hit the three, which I mean, I think there's reason to think he can hit the three better than what he did last year with Minnesota, because he he shot well in the G league. And obviously he was a great shooter in college. So on higher volume and he's knocked down some so far, like he's generally looked like he's known where he needs to be and win. And and it's just a benefit to them to have another more versatile defender with some size. Like, I I remember I told somebody that they're like, well, I wonder if we'll get peaks at Cassius Stanley. And I'm like, yeah, I would like to like and and Nate Bjorkren has played everybody. I mean, the fourth quarter's been great minutes for those guys, which is why it's sad that Goga has the sprained ankle. Yes. But um I I was like, I hope that they get minutes for Keelan because I mean they they very well might need him. Like we don't know how long TJ Warren's gonna be out. Yeah. And if they're playing bigger teams, they're gonna need some size.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think I I've A, I've really liked him. Um he moves really well on the court and he's Um, he's still kind of, uh, I mean, not kind of, he's definitely undersized to be a four, but he at least makes it possible for Justin holiday to not have to play the four, um, which is ideal because as much as Justin is, is good at doing that. Um, if you can have somebody with more size, more length, um, just more ability to give you versatility on the roster, I think it's been huge. So I'm, I'm excited for him going into the year. He's shown a lot. So, um, We'll kind of see with that. I mean, yeah, he even showed – I didn't I, I didn't know a ton about his game because obviously I didn't uh, watch Butler a lot, but I, I watched a lot of him with the Wolves last year. And, um, I, you know, I was uh, kind of more bullish on his shot than some people were because they had a uh, um, – I mean, the Wolves were just a bad team last year. Their offensive talent was uh, so poor. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts before we get out of here?
1: I did have – I'll just throw my bonus question Ooh, out I'm there because it's a fun one. Um, just what's been your favorite thing so far from these two games? Like it can be anything like favorite moment, favorite play thing you found most encouraging anything.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say when miles went to do the ball reversal, took a step to the, I mean, dribbled, took a step to the right and then pumped a three. Uh, that was fantastic because, uh, Tony East put that video on Twitter. Um, if that was miles last year, that ball is either a going the other way or it's, uh, going to somebody else's hands. Uh, so I thought that was huge. Like, again, it's just one game, but it already feels like there's a small difference or at least a, a, not, a not even small. There's, there's a difference in, um, how miles is at least, uh, attacking the offensive side. So I think that was, a. That was definitely my favorite other than thing so far. and
1: other than the two times in the first game when he had the wide open corner three against the zone, and then thought he like grew handles suddenly, and yeah, <laughs> then another time dribbled it off of his foot and Dude, baby steps, but, right? <laughs> but I was to that point like the fact I very much want him to be taking transition threes that that would open up a lot for them, and not just if he makes them, but the setup of the threat of what that does if you have you know, I've referred to him what I want him to be is a six foot 11 shooting guard. I think that's yeah. what role he needs to have. So yeah, that plays a great one. Yeah. That was what I was going to mention. Like I just like seeing some new things from various people. I liked Vick's lefty hook pass back to Brogdon that yes. I mentioned earlier. I like the points of bonus sightings <laughs> yes. growing in number, especially because on a couple of them, the one in the first game, he, he went to the right side of the floor, which from the long study thing I did, like a lot of times when he was bringing the ball at the floor, he was a, a, wanting to go left and go into a left dribble handoff, whether anybody was over there or not. And he's already shown that he'll go to the other side. That's big. And then Brogdon shooting off the dribble. Like he's made a couple of shots going left off the dribble, which was an area of emphasis for him. And I was like stunned when I looked up that number, when I wrote that article that, well, two stats that are just crazy on Brogdon shooting that, um another Raptors comparison that Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet attempted more pull-up threes per game combined last year than the Pacers did as a team. And like that's an important thing for opening up the floor in the playoffs, whatever. So if Malcolm can start doing that, that's great. And then within that, the Giannis, whenever they were in Milwaukee, Giannis assisted Brogdon for 85 field goals and the Pacers as a team last year assisted him on 81 field goals. Like just showing how much of a responsibility Brogdon had to be doing other things rather than spotting up and that they just didn't have a lot of people to assist him, which goes on to highlight how important it is that he'd be able to create some of his own offense off the dribble. So I think that's been encouraging to see. I like, I like new, new tricks that players can add. And I think that all four of those projected starters have, have shown a little something. So encouraging.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think, uh, the last one I would hit on to is uh, I like the Sabonis corner threes. He took a corner three yesterday. That looked like his definitely the queen. It, it was not
1: it was, close.
0: It was not super close, but it was, it was encouraging. I was, I feel like, I don't know. I like, but yeah, that, he yeah.
1: has taken them. Yeah. He's taken the three. I, I
0: don't love five threes in a game um, for Domas. Uh, but I mean, I like that he's taking them uh, and I like, I like the corner three just because I think, um, I mean, that's just a more natural progression. He's been a guy who's not really a, high volume three-point shooter it just makes sense to find a way to hit the easiest ones first and then you can progress out from there because that's kind of what miles did his first year when he started taking three so um yeah i I don't know i overall a lot of encouraging signs the only i mean there are there are others but the the one that is kind of a thorn in my side right now is malcolm is still struggling at the rim um it's again it's been two games but he uh he has really missed some uh, some kind of easy bunnies at the rim. He's had a step the on whole, his man. And, yes, uh, the whole and still team, though. it. Yeah. You
1: the word kamikaze, that's what I used to describe the offense in the third quarter <laughs> last night. It was kamikaze drive after kamikaze yeah. drive. And I think some of that goes into the fatigue level of going straight into playing, yeah. like I said, this aggressive of a scheme. Like, by the time the third quarter came, they just looked like they were dragging. But, yeah, like, hopefully – he can convert. That was another thing that he said whenever he was talking that not just shooting left, not just going left as a shooter, but also finishing left at the rim. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I am definitely hopeful, but we have a, we have lots to look forward to. It's kind of exciting to actually, uh, you know, see things that a coach talk, the coaching staff talks about uh, with the front office. So for you know, in the off season, it actually comes to fruition a little bit. So it's, uh, that's been exciting. Also a little bit disheartening because, you know, like you mentioned with, uh, like, you know, Sumner and, uh, everyone else who's actually spotting up, um, and forcing themselves to be behind the line. It makes you kind of question how big of an emphasis it really was from the coaching staff the last three years.
1: Um, no, I don't think it was. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> like it was talked about as being an emphasis, but yeah, no, I, but regardless, I digress. It's, uh, we, we have a lot to look forward to, um. You have anything exciting coming up this week, or, uh, or that you're working on that you want people to know about for we get out of here?
1: Oh yeah, it's it's very random. As you know, I have impeccable food takes. Oh like, yes, you do. Um, yeah, I mean, popsicles great. Um, unfrosted pop tarts delightful. Peanut unfrosted butter sandwiches, pop tarts. Yes, we don't need Mark. We do not need frosting on pop tarts.
0: Wait, there are i didn't know there were unfrosted pop tarts like that's a thing
1: yes like a plain pop tart that's like brown sugar and cinnamon but not with frosting on the top wow never i've had never this?
0: i've never heard of that before
1: okay well here's the analogy that you need to know if if you have a cake and a pie before you which one do you want icing on oh the cake right so is a pop tart more like pie or more like cake
0: I guess it's more like pie. Okay, that's a really good analogy. See,
1: you see, like Yeah, that totally and, makes sense. And here's what I'm telling you, go to the store, find the next time you're willing to go out and like um risk being at the store. <laughs> <laughs> find brown sugar pop tarts and melt butter on top of them after they come out really of the good. toaster. I'm telling you, it is a huge W, like much better than the frosted ones. But anyways, as you can tell now, I have impeccable food takes. And in addition to dipping peanut butter sandwiches in chili soup, also good, a good pairing. That actually um, does sound
0: like it would be good. I'm not really a chili person, but I do. I mean, me and my dog go through like a jar of peanut butter every week. So that is a, yes. I will have to try that.
1: I think this goes back to my Indiana rural upbringing of being at school lunches where this was regularly served and now it just is normal to me. But anyways, I, I was approached by a foodie blog to share my food takes in relation to the Pacers. So soon, I will be comparing the Pacers to pizza ingredients.
0: Oh, I also, I think clearly... I know who you're talking to. I, I think I, am <laughs> in touch with them as well. So we're, we're, uh, we're both writing for that,
1: which is clearly much needed content. So. Yeah soon we will be able to see this.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that the biggest kick I've been on with food recently is I started eating fruit snacks again. And it's been a, it's been a, it's been a great journey. I haven't had fruit snacks in like three or four years. And uh, I was at Kroger the other day and I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy some fruit snacks. I've already gone through like six of them. So it's uh, the, the, the only bad part I was talking to my friends today. I was like, you know, the only bad part about fruit snacks is there just aren't enough in the packet. You get through them so fast and you're like, well, I'm, I'm still hungry. So, what am I supposed to do now? But it's or they're
1: uh, loaded with cherry ones that I don't want. Oh, I, I
0: love the cherry ones. I think oh, I have cherry, cherry, ones, cherry and no. grape right now. Oh, I love them. The cherry is my favorite. The grape flavor. is good. The grape is really good. good. But I, I'm a big fan of the cherry ones. But. Anyways, I'm sure you people are tired of uh, hearing us talk about food. If you really want us, though, maybe we'll do like some bonus food pod. Who knows? We're almost uh, this is uh, this is episode 99, so the next one's episode 100. Maybe we'll just have a random food pod uh, for episode 100 of uh, of a basketball podcast. Sounds sounds soon enough,
1: there'll be comments saying, "Please, no, no (laughs) more discussion of this."
0: Hey, well, you know, we saved it for the end of the pod, so that's something, right? Uh, Well, to everyone listening. Thank you, of course, for listening and keeping posted with us. We appreciate it. We'll have a lot a lot of content coming out soon uh, as games start to unwind and the season starts to unfold a little bit. Um, as always, like we mentioned at the beginning, be sure to rate, review, share the pod. That, that really helps us out. And most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.